Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, back to the Believe in the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Golden of JetsXFactor.com. And, of course, I got former Jet running back Lamont Jordan here with me. We got a big game to break down. The New York Jets, unfortunately, were not able to overcome the Minnesota Vikings on the road. 27-22 to in a hard-fought contest. There was a lot of positives from this game, Lamont. There was also a lot of negatives. Before we get started right into it, as always, we got to thank our friends over at BetOnline.ag for sponsoring the show. Basketball season is getting back started. I know we're all excited for that college basketball season hitting as well we got the world cup every type of sport the nfl you could name it there's a bunch of sports going on this time of year and betonline.ag is the place to go for all your betting needs for any of them make sure you guys if you're signing up for the first time use the promo code believe b-l-e-a-v you'll get a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first sign up bet online where the game starts as always lamont i think we got to start with this game with the offense that's been the story for the last couple of weeks we've had mike white with his second start now we have an offense that for the second week in a row broke their record for most total yards in a game this season where the week before it was 464 I believe total that was the record and they hit 484 this week Mike White goes for over 300 yards passing for the second week in a row but they only score 22 points and they go one for six overall in the red zone with one touchdown on a quarterback sneak that even that one touchdown looked like it took a lot of effort to get in I think that's been the the main issue with this game. I think that's where we got to start first. I'd love to hear your reaction from this game and how their red zone struggles really affected them. Yeah, man, I was, um, you know, I'm kind of conflicted watching the game because this was a game that we, we, I feel like we beat ourselves. I want to get, first of all, let me give Minnesota some credit. All right. But I don't think that they did anything special. I think we beat ourselves. Um, you know, for the last couple of shows, I've gone down my notes. Uh, I'm going to wait on just kind of doing it completely. Um, I feel like White was late on a lot of throws. That was the main thing that I saw. Um, well, one of the, not the main thing, but that's one of the first things that stuck out to me was I think that he was late on a lot of his throws. Um, the first interception he had where it got tipped, he was late. I think he could have got it in there a, a little sooner or he could have just thrown the ball to Bam. Because uh, Bam was open out there in the flats, so um, the 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 very first thing that sticks out to me is that we were late on our passes. I think Minnesota did a great job game planning wise of of understanding what it is that the Jet that we do, understanding what the Jets do, and that is offensively we want to run a lot of deep routes. That's what we do. We try to get the deep corner in so many times, the deep out so many times. I mean. They did a great job. And if you notice throughout the course of the game, majority of the passes he threw, he was trying to throw it into tight windows. All right. The deep corners, no matter what it was, everything was just tight. I feel like everything was just so squeezed together. And Mike White was late on a lot of things. So the very first thing that stuck out to me was he was late on a lot of passes, man. And 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 as we continue to talk about the game, we can get into some specifics on that. But from an offensive standpoint, listen. The big fuss has been, hey, Zach, 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 Zach this, Zach that. And we were very critical on Zach. We're going to be critical on White. I think that he threw a lot of passes behind guys, although he had to throw in tight windows. 
um, at the end of the day, there were passes there to be made that he threw it behind guys that you would like to see him put that ball either on him or in front of him a little bit more. Yeah, that I can agree with. Um, I'm not going to, there were certainly sometimes he could have been quicker through his reads. I'm not going to sit here and say that it was perfect, pristine. And, you know, this was an absolutely untouchable, amazing game from Mike White, but I'm a little more positive than I think maybe you are. And this is kind of where I'm leaning. He absolutely had some plays where his accuracy was slightly off and a receiver is going to make a contested catch and they got coverage all over him and it's slightly behind the receiver and they're having to make a small adjustment. And usually a lot of those plays ended up in drops. Is that on Mike White? Yeah, you would like Mike White to be deadly accurate. You would like Mike White to be putting perfect passes to where the receiver can have the easiest time possible to make the catch. But at the same time, you also can't have Mike White catch passes too. And if a ball is hitting guys in the hands or if it's hitting them to where they're not having to completely contort their body to go out of the way to make a grab, I think it can still fall in the fall in the realm of a catchable ball. And I think that as much as Mike White could have been better and more accurate, I think the Jets receivers could have been better at catching balls that were catchable. And even if they weren't completely deadly accurate, they still had a chance to make plays. On top of that, for a defense that was ranked 32nd against the pass, the Vikings defense did a great job covering the Jets receivers. There was not that many wide open targets. This was not like the Chicago game where we saw the week before where Mike White had plenty of open receivers to throw to and he's hitting them in stride and everything looks crisp and, and you know pristine. This was not the case. Minnesota's coverage team did a very, very good job for most of the day. Their defense overall did a really good job for most of the day, despite the Jets being able to put up yards. And I think with a defense that's playing better than they were getting credit for, with receivers that were dropping passes that they maybe should have caught, the one thing with Mike White, and maybe this is just in comparison to Zach Wilson that's making this, I said this on my other show last night, but maybe it's the difference of going from Zach that was so bad to a competent quarterback and Mike White, regardless of how competent he is, that you're overvaluing how good he actually is. But the thing for me, he has an early rougher start, has an interception on the first drive that was a tip ball. You could argue, I think he was a little late to the read. I also think the DB from Minnesota was getting there a little early. And we saw a couple of times in this game where not going to play the, the ref shenanigan. This will be the one and only time I mention it, but it certainly seemed like the Vikings DBs were being able to be a little grabbier. And it seems like the Jets DBs weren't quite able to get away with the same thing. Regardless, balls tipped up in the air and intercepted. Vikings jump out to an early lead and Mike White never wavers. He finds a way to lead the team back. He keeps the offense on schedule. He doesn't compound mistakes and start immediately pressing and playing hero ball and feel like, at a point where in the game, the Jets are down 20 to three, that they're going to need to come back immediately and go as hard as they can to get back in the game. He stays calm. He stays comfortable. He works his way down the field. They keep piling on field goals and they keep inching their way back and back closer and closer into the game to the point where they had two opportunities in the red zone with less than two minutes left down by five to score a touchdown and take the lead and possibly win. Yeah. And there's absolutely something to that compared to what we saw from Zach Wilson, which it was the second there was one mistake. It was like the floor fell out from under him. That's when the panic set in and there was never an ability to rebound and grow after you had some rough starts early. The confidence and the, the composure by Mike White to stay calm, stay in the game, not let the game to get too big for him and will his team back slowly, but surely I think had a, a really big factor on top of that. The dude was spitting some balls into some very tight windows, like you mentioned. And there were a handful of throws that he had where he wasn't late on them. And it was just good coverage. 
and he's able to fit the ball in the perfect spot where it's not slightly off countered or not slightly in a way that's still catchable, but maybe not perfect. And we saw some big plays happen as a result of that. None more so than the ball to Garrett Wilson that went for 60 something yards. If Garrett doesn't step out after breaking two tackles that he scores and you know, the jets might win. That was a dart by Mike white fitting the ball over the linebacker. He's got space from the safeties in between and he hits Garrett dead between the numbers in the chest where he's able to catch it, bounce off a tackle and run. He had another throw to Garrett Wilson on the second to last drive where the jets are driving down clock is ticking. They're trying to get in to get the, to get a touchdown. This is before they got stopped on fourth and one on the goal line. He has a ball, I believe it was on third down, that's another one of those deep out routes like you're talking about, and he throws the ball to Garrett Wilson, who's able to toe-tap down the left sideline, and it might have been the best throw I've seen a Jets quarterback make all season. It was a dart. Mm-hmm. 20, 25 yards away, uh, Garrett's on standing on the sideline. He's got a DB draped over him with slight inside leverage, and White has to put the ball outside far enough to where the DB can't make a play on it and not so far outside that Garrett's going to fall out of bounds and not be able to keep his toe in. And he throws it perfectly. You couldn't have asked for a better ball. It beats the coverage. It's in the perfect spot. Garrett's able to make the play and the Jets get a first and goal as a result. There was a lot of positive from Mike White from this game. Is there improvement to be had? Yes, absolutely. And if we're going to be critical on Zach, we got to be critical on Mike White too. I thought his accuracy could have been better. There was a couple of plays that were wide open that he missed. He had Garrett Wilson down the sideline that he missed by a couple of inches. That could have been a really big play. There was another throw um, where uh, I'm trying to think he had Elijah Moore on right before um, that last drive. He's got Elijah Moore to the flat to the right and he misses that throw. You know, there's a couple of misses from Mike White. This was not a perfect game, but I didn't think even his worst misses were that bad. And we've seen misses from Zach be significantly, significantly wider and more off target than we've seen from Mike White. And I think that that's something, especially the go ball to Garrett Wilson. I think that's something that will get better and improve the more White starts and the more time he has in practice and getting reps and chemistry with this offense. Where if you're going, you're not, how many go balls has Mike White thrown to Garrett Wilson in practice this season? Probably not that many because Garrett's been with the first team offense for most of the time. And Mike Hmm. White's been with the second team. As the chemistry gets better, I think those little issues will be ironed out. And I really didn't see, I didn't see anything from Mike White that was a negative to me that doesn't go, hopefully that should, or you would assume that would get better with more experience and more time and practice. I didn't see any deficiencies from him. I didn't see any glaring immediate problems that I'm going, this can't be replicated. I thought the Vikings defense played pretty well and Mike White still threw for 370 yards on him. I um as far as Mike White not, you know, not giving not coming having a bad start and still being able to maintain his composure and finish the game. Yes, those are all things that are great. And I think those are things that we saw from Mike White. Uh, I want to say last year. Um, like he's a gamer. Like I I'll give it to Mike White. I think that he's a gamer. With that said, we're in a we're we're in a position where we're trying to fight for a playoff spot. And this was a game where offensively, first of all, I'm happy to see that, good Lord, I mean, we're we're getting yards out there. I mean, we're getting yards. You know, our defense isn't dealing with a whole lot of three and outs. You know, it's not a situation like that. Um, With that said, we need our quarterback in these situations. He's got to make those throws. And I agree with you. These are catchable balls. 
the hardest pass to catch, in my opinion, and this is just going out there doing it, is when you're running a slant or a dig route and you're running one way full speed and you have to turn around and catch and the ball. balls behind you. That yep. is one of the hardest passes. That is definitely one of the hardest passes to catch. And you're also doing it where you're always having tight coverage. This is where, for me, it comes back to 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 Lafleur. Our routes are just too deep. We don't have an offensive line. And, and let me say this. I saw where um, there were many times where we had guys open. Okay, I think that there were many times that we had guys open. Some of the spacing was off, but it, there was just too many times we just ran too many d- deep routes. There were just too many deep routes out there. And, and we never moved the – Nowhere in anything that we did did we move the corners, did we move the safeties, did we move the linebackers. We didn't force them to check the flats, which is why the deep corner was never there because we never really threatened them underneath. I think that we could have did a better job of hitting some check downs. Um, pass protection. As an offensive coordinator, you could draw up all these pretty passes, and if you watch, we can say, hey, if the offensive line protected better, that the play would have been good. But the reality of our situation is that our offensive line has not been doing a good job all year long. We had early on, we had a misprotection. That was a sack. I'm sitting there looking at Bam like, yo, what are you doing? Yeah, people blame Max for that, but I but I'm glad you brought that up. Max is a covered lineman. He's got he's got a five technique head up right over him, and he knows he's got Bam Knight and protection to the other side, and Bam steps up. He comes up. I'm pretty sure I know exactly what you're talking about, where it's a free rusher off the edge, and yes. it ends up being an easy sack, where Max is expecting Bam to take the far outside guy, and he's taking the guy that's head up on him, and Bam steps up to meet like a checking linebacker, and it leaves no one off the edge to block that. I'm pretty sure they pulled Max Mitchell partly because of that play. He had another misplay where it was a, a run play that was a pretty bad rep in the run game, but they eventually sat him for George Fan, and I think that sack is partly why. I think he was expecting Bam to be his outside help. Now, here's how I look at that play, all right? There are two ways that I'm looking at how we can do this protection, all right? First of all, it was a situation where, let's say we're in two-jet protection, all right? And when I was in, when I was playing for the Jets and West Coast Systems, Two jet is a protection, whereas a running back, you're responsible for the Mike backer and the Sam backer. All right. The offensive line, they're sliding. They have the four down and they're sliding away to that will backer. All right. Or that situation where it almost looks like they were kind of doing a three, four because they had that three technique a little bit wider. All right. right? In that situation, what you'll do is you'll have your center stave head up, just man to man on the nose. You'll take your guard and your tackles to fan out. Okay, what I saw was the guard went to fan out and I didn't see the tackle go out. All right. But what I also saw was at the snap of the ball. And 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 this is how this is how we know as coaches. All right. And as a player, you know this. If I want to know where my running back is looking, all I got to do is look for that strike right there in the middle of his head. All right. And as a running back, he looked and he and, and there is a free rusher coming. You have to pick that up. All right. So it was either the right guard and the right tackle were wrong. One of them were wrong because maybe the protection called for both of them, the fan. And in that case, if both linemen are fanning out, now your running backs releases on the inside because he's the guy that's going to help the center if there's weakness. All right. Now, if they didn't call a fan, then the right guard was wrong. The situation was supposed to have been the tackle stays on the end. 
the guard yeah. comes down to the center because they're working their way back to the wheel backer. And now the running back, you have a dual read. If that Mike backer doesn't come, you have to get your eyes on the Sam backer. If that Sam backer comes, you have to go and pick that up. So I don't know who was wrong on that play because the right guard came out. And if the right guard went out, to me, that's a fan call. He was expecting the tackle to go out and pick that up. And then Bam came and released inside. So just thinking about just how protections work, the fact that Bam came up inside, the right guard went out, then what I'm saying is that maybe it was a situation that the right tackle didn't fan, all right? But if you're telling me that they took the guard out, um, did it take the guard or the tackle out? They took Mitchell out, the tackle out. Tackle out. So in that situation, yes, that's telling me that Bam was not wrong in that situation. What they're telling me by taking him out is, hey, look, dude, you're supposed to fan out for that. That is your responsibility. And, and here's the thing about it. If we get that picked up, I think we have a big play. All right, we have a big play. So I'm not going to put everything on Mike White, but in situations where it was tight throws, you don't want to consistently see your quarterback throwing the ball behind the man. There were too many times where he, the throw was more contested because I think he was late on the throw. There were a few times that you have to throw the guy open. Berrios was open. On that goal line, Berrios was open. It's clearly a situation where if he just slides a little bit and then gets rid of, get, then gets rid of the ball, it's there, all right? If he just stands in the pocket and is willing to take a hit and actually step into his throw and drive it in, it's a touchdown. I love the play call there. Now, that deep pass, the second to last drive, I believe it was, to Garrett Wilson that he missed, that is not his fault. He threw a dime. He threw a dime. Garrett Wilson, once he came off of the break, he never took off and ran full speed. And if anybody wants to know what I'm talking about, go back and watch that play, any clip that they give you. Watch how fast Garrett Wilson's hands are moving as he's approaching the defender and he breaks down. And then watch how fast his hands are moving once he go past the defender. Herm Edwards used to always say this, and he used to always say this to Lavernius a lot. All right? When that ball is in the air, you don't have to keep running and looking back with your hands out. No, when that ball is in the air, you got to take off and you got to go knowing that you're anticipating that that ball is going to be in the spot. That was a great play call, and it was a dime of a throw. It was a perfect pass. Garrett Wilson didn't help him out in that situation because he didn't run full speed. Some of these passes, these dig routes that are getting that are getting tipped in the air, I said it on the show before. Our wide receivers, when you're running any type of dig route and there's tight coverage, you have to flatten that thing out. You cannot continue to drift and work up the field. You're not helping your quarterback out in that situation. So, yes, Mike White is going to get some blame. I like to see more of a mixture in our running game because I really think that that's something that Minnesota did a good job of, which was why they were able to get the big runs that they got because they did a good job of mixing in their runs. Um, but I just think that our route concepts are entirely too long and we're not taking advantage of the underneath stuff that teams are giving us. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with a lot of that. This is where I'm going to transition to where I think most of the blame from this loss has to go, and that's offensive coordinator Michael Floor. I will start by saying you put up 480 yards of total offense. This was not a bad day at the office. This was not a game that Michael Flores should be fired over. This was not a game that he should be considered losing play calling duties over or anything remotely like that. This was not a bad game. 
but the red zone struggles are what did this team in. And what you just said is exactly what I want to start with variance in the run game. The Jets best running play of the day came on a power uh, sweep pull with Connor McGovern as the lead blocker to Zonovan Knight, where he gets up to the linebacker, finds a little crease to the outside, bounces it and takes it 45 yards at the sideline. We'll get into Bam more because another great game from him. Uh, Very excited to talk with you again about his potential, but just on the floor really quick. That's an effective run play the Jets had that isn't one of their base calls. It's not a wide zone. It's not the the understetter split zone with the tight end coming back. It's a new wrinkle. It's a different type of play. The Vikings were running pitch plays and crack toss basically at will against the Jets. They weren't running outside zone. They weren't running split zone. They were running shotgun toss, crack toss, whatever you want to call it. They were trying to get to the edge and it was working. They chose to be more variable. The Jets when time mattered the most, called their same basic run plays. You get a first and goal from the four-yard line with two minutes left. You're down five points. You're finally in a chance to score in the red zone and take the lead. And your first play call is the same split zone under center run you've called like eight times before in that game. And Harrison Smith reads it like a book and shoots in the backfield. And Bam Knight somehow evades the tackle gets upfield and gains three. Second down, you call the same play. Call the same play. Split zone again. You get Harrison Smith coming down again, stops Bam Knight for no gain. Why don't we try something like one of our power runs? We saw the Jets run GT counter against Buffalo three times down the field for 40 yards to ice the game. Where are all of these other concepts that you can have in those short yardage situations to help you? On top of that, the 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 biggest egregious problem for me and Lamont I know you've been saying this for a while and I had your voice in my head watching this game at the end of it the worst possible time for the college gimmicky stuff oh my gosh you call it at the worst possible times they have a drive that I believe was one of Zerline's field goals I think it was their first drive out of the half they get uh they're about at midfield a little before midfield They go under center. They get a play action to Garrett Wilson over the middle of the field, picks up like 21 yards. It's like the first under center play action dig wrap they called all day, and it worked. They don't call it the rest of the drive. They get down into the red zone, and their first idea for a play call is the tunnel screen to Berrios, where Berrios is supposed to go inside, catches it, and for some reason breaks back outside and leads George Fanton to a block in the back hall. They have another play later in the game on a different drive where – they call, I'm pretty sure it's a run play on first down that picks up four yards. You get into second and six at about the 22-yard line, and you call a shovel pass to Tyler Conklin. That's, those are drive killers to me. Yeah. And it's so hard for any offense, let alone an offense with a quarterback that they're getting used to, uh, with an offensive line they don't trust, with running backs that are young and explosive and talented, but maybe not always are going to hit the hole exactly how you would perfectly want. It is so tough to make drives harder for yourself and make converting third downs that much more difficult. The Vikings were getting into third and short at will early in the game. The Vikings were getting third and two, third and three, third and four. It never seems like they had anything further than that. And they were able to pick up third down after third down and go down the field, no problem. The Jets got into the red zone and it was like anything they tried to do on first down didn't work. And they were never any better than second and six at best. And they just couldn't get anywhere from there. I want to see from Michael Floor specifically, 
an emphasis more on doing the stuff that works after it's proven to work and putting the stuff away that doesn't work when it's proven not to work. Mm-hmm. Every time the Jets called an under center dig route on play action, it was a good play. And it was exactly what I said the week before, Lamont, the Vikings linebackers fall for anything. Mm-hmm. That if you can get somewhat of a run game like the Jets were able to do, they're going to come downhill every time. And you're going to be able to fit the ball in over their head. And that's what we saw. When you're at the 25-yard line, why can't you call a variation of that same play? Where if you're going to have a dig route to Garrett Wilson and you're expecting a run play, the field's a little more condensed. The safeties might be coming up. If that's the case, hopefully you have some other some other route combination that's working off of it to where you just don't have three levels in the middle of the field. Maybe you can have an out route to the backside. Maybe you can have a drag coming across the other way. You can have a tight end running a seam route. If you got too deep, maybe you have someone go straight up the middle. You have Garrett convert the dig to an in and up. There's other ways that you can generate yards. And I just felt like in this game in particular, the, the, it was the worst possible plays at the worst possible times where you're generating a lot of yards You've had some good designs. You're getting into the red zone. And then you call the most backbreaking thing at the worst possible time. It's going to set your drive back. And it just led to Zerline kicking a bunch of field goals. The Jets, all they need to do is score one more touchdown. And they win this game. They mm-hmm. score one touchdown on their five other red zone opportunities. And they win the game. And I'm, it's very, it's a hard pill to swallow. No, it is. Because this is a game that, that we, we left a victory out there. We really did it, you know? Yeah, we, you said it themselves. They lost this game. They The Jets lost this game themselves. The Vikings didn't beat them. The Jets lost this game. Yeah, and let's, you know, let's go to some things that we always go to on a show. Third down, we were three for 16. Bingo. You know, uh, turnovers. We had two turnovers. They had none. All right, they were nine for 18 on third down. All right, and then you look at the red zone. You talked about it. You started the show with it. We were one for six in the red zone. That's not going to cut it. You're not going to be good in the red zone if everything you do is finesse. We're not the Kansas City Chiefs. We don't have Mahomes. We don't have a Kelsey. We don't, we know we don't have an Andy Reid. All right. So we're not going to win games being finesse. There's nothing that we do. And I talked about this and I talked about this all of last year. We have no physical presence on the offense at all. There's not one no. player that you point to and say, okay, this person is our is our enforcer on the offensive side of the ball. Our tight ends are soft. All right. It's too many. They have to get better. They have to get better. It's too many times where they're doing the play where we're running inside zone and they're sending the, the tight end across the formation to go get the defensive end and they're cutting the defensive end. Sometimes you got to come across and you got to knock some snot in that defensive yeah. end. That defensive they're coming end. across too slow, too. Yeah. That's the other problem is they need to get to that unblocked defender as fast as possible because the cutback lane is supposed to go behind their block. You have the offensive line for people watching on video can see my hands. You have the offensive line pushing up and to one side and you have a tight end coming behind it. It's going to create this crease in between where the tight end is sifting and in between where the line is shifting behind where that backside defensive end is unblocked. That's why it's called a split zone because you're trying to split the, the create a hole split between the line and the tight end coming across. If that tight end takes too long to come and sift behind in the backfield, it closes down the lane. The unblocked defensive end can reach, get closer and closer and closer. And now the space between where the offensive line is sifting and where the tight end is coming from is condensed. There's no lane to go through. That's been a huge problem for me on top of that. And not to, you know, I want to let you continue with this because you as the running back can definitely give your, your knowledge a lot more than I can. 
but I don't feel like Michael Floor has any trust in his offensive linemen to win the line of scrimmage either. And I don't know if they've done a good job of winning the line of scrimmage on most plays. I think they've struggled a lot of letting guys penetrate into the backfield and not getting any push off the snap where I remember seeing some plays for the Vikings where Dalvin cook's taking an inside run and he's not getting touched until he's four yards down the field. And I don't think we see much of that from the jets. And I understand from LaFleur's aspect, you're worried about your offensive line and that maybe is giving you some hesitancy as a play caller, but that's when you got to find some other plays that can help take advantage of the guys that you're struggling with that can help make their jobs a little bit easier. And yeah, I'm, I really didn't like that split zone call. I, I feel like that's a call the Jets have run a hundred thousand times a game all season, even going back to last year. And, and it's way too predictable and something that doesn't work as well as it should anyway. So I'm, I, I hated that call personally. I don't mind a call. The execution of it is not good. They haven't executed it all year. Well, a, a large part of it is because of tight ends. And that's the point that I was hitting on is that when you're coming across and you cut a guy, when you cut a guy, and he falls over top of you, he's falling into the hole. And that's what the point I was getting to, where you got to come across and you got to hit that guy. You can't just come and cut him every time. You have to be able, you, you, you have to hit him. Because here's what happens. The counter of that play is to send a tight end back to like he's blocking it and slip him out to the flats. But if you never come across and hit him, then what you're allowing him to do is set into the mentality that I don't, I can't come downhill full speed because this guy's going to take my legs out, which means when you decide to run that play with a tight end is coming across and bluff blocking the end and slide and slide out to the flats, you're going to have a harder time getting out because you have a guy whose antenna is already up thinking that I'm going to get cut. I got to, I got to be more disciplined. That play works when the defensive end is coming down hard. You get the defensive end coming down hard when, A, they know that somebody's coming across the line of scrimmage that's actually going to hit them because now they have to brace. They want to close the hole a lot faster. The other thing is, is that everything that we do, our running back is lined up right behind the guard. All right? That play works better as far as I'm concerned. And I know we do this read option crap, and I got the, I get it that this college and, and all of this crap, whatever the case may be. Mike Loxley told me in college that offensive football is a game of timing and spacing. If you move that back from behind the guard and move him out behind the tackle, it forces that backer to move out even wider, which makes things significantly easier on your offensive lineman. So what's happening is because the guard is so tight, all right, and we're constantly calling it where it looks like we're coming for the A-gap majority of the time. That is a great play to call <clears throat> with the back lined up. Aim for the outside zone. But the timing and the spacing is off a little bit on that play simply because of where the back is lined up. Our tight ends are too soft. All right. You're not going to develop confidence in your offensive line and you don't instill a mindset of physical play when everything you do is finesse. So get some counters in, get some powers in. I don't want to, listen, if we're not going to have a fullback on the team, you have to have a tight end on the team that just loves blocking, who wants to line up at the fullback spot. Hey, I don't care if I get the ball, coach. I just want to hit somebody. Show me who I need to hit. Show me who's who, who's, who I need to send to a concussion protocol. We don't have that guy. So the only thing that we can rely on is his play calling, his scheming, because we don't have a physical presence. You can develop a physical presence with your play calling if you call physical style plays. 
All right. I think it's just a little too late in the season because these guys at the tight end spot, to me, they're showing me who they are. They want to get out. They want to catch routes. But when it comes to what we need you to do in the trenches, we don't have those types of guys. All right. So it, it, for the floor, stop. I, 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 we don't have an offensive line that's going to allow us to consistently wait for these long routes to develop. So take advantage of a hitch route. Take advantage of shallow crosses where we got both guys coming yeah. across. The Jets never run mesh, and they really should. Yeah, and, and, and we should because we have we 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 have the players to do it. I mean, what are you going to do? We got Corey Davis and we got Jared Wilson doing this. We have Elijah Moore. I mean, there are so many there 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 are just so many things that I'm saying from an offensive from an offensive standpoint. Um, how we scheme up things that I think can make things significantly easier on 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 the um on the offensive line. And the other thing that I'm going to get back to Mike White on, he stares down the wide receivers too much. There is absolutely no manipulation of the defense. And when you have a defense, and, th and this is where I'm coming back to LaFleur and I'm coming back to White. If you have a defense that's playing quarters and your route concepts is running into quarters, then your quarterback needs to manipulate the safety somehow. He had a pass to Garrett Wilson where Garrett Wilson is open, but guess what? He never moved the safety. He got the ball. He stared it down. He never manipulated the safety. So this is where the quarterback and the OC go hand in hand. We need Mike White to, to manipulate, the, manipulate the defense some. And here's what I'm going to say about our red zone. All right? I'm going to say this about our red zone. We got one more game. We have one more game where if Mike White isn't able to get us into the end zone, then I think that when we get inside the red zone, especially inside the 10-yard line, I think you bring in Zach Wilson. Because there are plays out there that if a quarterback who can scramble can actually use his his legs, we score a touchdown. Mike White had a scramble that that if that was Zach Wilson, that is a touchdown. So yeah. if 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 yes, Mike White is doing a great job. But if we continue to have these red zone woes like we're having, I'm telling you, Zach Wilson in the red zone can get us in the end zone because it opens up a part of the offense that we do not have with Zach with uh, with Mike White, and that is a quarterback who can actually run the ball off of the read option look, who was also your starting quarterback, so you can still run your offense. But we just need to add this extra dynamic. We can't worry about politics and all this crap. The fact of the matter is, is we're trying to make it to the playoffs. And I think that that is an area where Zach Wilson can definitely help this team, even if he's not the starting quarterback. Listen, if the floor can't draw up schemes and route concepts that's going to get open, that's going to get us in the end zone, then bring in Zach Wilson in the red zone. Let us utilize his legs. His legs is going to open up read option. Read option is going to open up the timing and the spacing, and maybe that's something that can help us get into the end zone. Yeah, it's a possibility. Uh, I'm not going to totally rule it out because you're right. Zach's mobility has been an asset for them in the red zone. And they've had some of their best red zone plays utilizing his mobility. So I completely understand the desire to get him involved. My only concern with that is then you're going to have to make him active and you're likely going to have to have Flacco inactive, which means if White gets hurt, Zach becomes your starter. And do you trust Zach enough more so than just running red zone plays to where you felt like you needed to completely bench him a few weeks ago is he now going to be, has he worked himself back enough to where you feel comfortable with him being your backup quarterback? That's, you know, something I can't answer, not being in their practices and in their quarterback room to be able to say. But I do agree that they got to find other ways to generate points in the red zone. 
And the point you mentioned about Mike White scrambling is 100,000% true. This is my biggest negative with Mike White. And it's something I mentioned on my other show last night as well. Because you are inathletic, because you are not going to ever be considered an explosive athlete at any point in your life, you have to decide to take off earlier than everybody else. You can't wait until you're outside of the pocket and you realize, oh, everyone's covered. There's eight, nine yards of space between me and the linebacker. I need to get four to get a first down. You can't have that mentality of, okay, now I can go and run. It's the second you get out into open space, if there's even an idea in your head that you might be taking off, that's got to be the time you go. Because you're not going to, the rest of the defense is too quick. They're too explosive. Those are full-blown NFL athletes with real speed and real power. They're going to catch up to you real fast. So that one scramble you're talking about, you're 100% right. If Zach Wilson's the quarterback, that's a walk-in touchdown. But it was Mike White, and so it ended up being stopped short. And if I think quite honestly with how big White is, if he decided to run a little earlier and picked up some momentum, I think he falls forward into the end zone. I think he could have gotten in anyway. But you cannot have the mentality of wait until I know I'm free and then have the explosion and burst to get out and and burn pursuit angle. That's not going to be what he does. I want to talk about the defense a little bit because we've spent all day talking about the offense, but this is not just a one-sided affair. I thought this was overall a a solid performance from the defense, but I think it could have and probably should have been a lot worse because Kirk Cousins was awful. Kirk Cousins was not good. Kirk Cousins started the game 0 for 5. He missed wide-open targets that would have been big plays, if not touchdowns, at least two or three times in this game. There was a couple of very nice plays that he had. He made some nice throws under pressure. The touchdown he had to Jefferson in the end of the game, the outside was a perfectly thrown ball. He's a shot uh, falling under Nathan Shepard where he's able to get out and and throw downfield to Jalen Rager. That was a good play. It was a bad coverage by Jordan Whitehead more than anything else, but still good play by Cousins to be able to stand tall and make the play anyway. I'm the defense overall for me, the one thing I will give them credit for, they rebounded in the second half. Yep. It was an an ugly game for them early. They allowed 20 points. It seems like the Vikings offense was doing what they were going to do. And they were able to come back. They only allowed seven points to the entirety of the second half. They forced two three and outs to start the second half. The defense did their job when it mattered the most for the most part. But the question that I have, and this is something that I want to talk to you about as we get into playoff football. I'm a little worried that the Jets play too much zone. And I'm a little worried that at least on early downs, because the way their defense is constructed and they're very much right corner, left corner, DJ and sauce are going to be on their sides. And I don't know if this is going to be exploited because on that last play in the red zone, they had a ball to Justin Jefferson to the outside where the Vikings get a three on two with DJ Reed in the slot corner, I think was Brandon Eccles at the time because Michael Carter got hurt. And they have CJ Mosley, who's playing uh, Mike Linebacker, who's slightly cheating outside. But there's all this space to the outside for DJ Reed to have to cover one-on-one with Justin Jefferson. And he has to stay inside because he can't just run a seam route and and allow Jefferson to come wide open over the middle. So I want to see especially in the red zone. And I know this is where you can get a little susceptible to rub routes. And that's why I think you got to play this a certain way. I want to see the jets be more willing to play man coverage early because I think they have the DBs for it. I think if you aren't in so much of a zone technique as our, as our corners, I think that can help when you're in one-on-ones where DJ Reed is in zone coverage on Justin Jefferson. 
And because of that, it ends up being a one-on-one because he's the only guy on the outside. It's going to look like DJ Reed gets burned. In reality, DJ Reed's playing zone. He's playing deep third. And he's staying to the inside because there's another receiver directly to the inside of Jefferson that could run dead up the seam and be wide open if he doesn't. And he's got his eyes with his back to the sideline. He's got his eyes on cousins and he's waiting for, you know, any sort of outbreaking route. Jefferson comes up field closest to space, gives him a bit of hesitation and breaks to the outside. DJ reads in recovery. There's nothing DJ Reed can do in that situation that by the design of the play on the Vikings, by the alignment and from where he is in zone coverage, it would take an incredible break on the ball for him to get over there. And he almost did, but Cousins threw it perfectly to the outside shoulder. And it was a great route and a perfect throw. That's going to score pretty much every time in any sort of level of football. It's a lot harder to play defense than it seems to play offense because the offenses are so good. You have an opportunity and fear the Jets when you get into the red zone. I want to see a little more just one-on-one man. And if it's in the tight, tight, tight red zone and you're right up on the line of scrimmage, that's when it gets dicey because you can get the the rub routes and the picks and the slant flat. I'm not so much saying when you get right on the goal line, but if you are like the Vikings were in this play, seven yards out, nine yards out, 10 yards out on as a defense. I don't know if zone (laughs) is always going to be the best way to get things done because I feel like, like we saw, you can just exploit the alignment and get op- into open space as a result. And if you play band coverage, that makes it harder. Now, the play you're talking about was the touchdown to Jefferson. Touchdown to Jefferson on it's to the out route. Yeah. Yeah, that was all on DJ Reed. That has nothing to do with the fact that we were playing zone or anything like that. DJ Reed got lulled to sleep. That's That's what it came down to. Um, I agree with you with some of the man-to-man. I did not want us to play man-to-man with Reed on Jefferson, especially in the red zone. No. No, I would have put sauce on him in press man in the red zone. I think in the red zone, if you put sauce on on Jefferson press man, I think Jefferson would have mossed him. Simply because when I sit back and I watch the all-22, anytime sauce was close to them, he was getting beat. Like he was in a trail technique. You you never want to see that. You're not going to feel comfortable calling press man if when you call press man, even if the quarterback doesn't throw the ball, if you see that your corner is getting beat on press man and he's in a trail position, especially with a guy like Jefferson, nah, you're you're asking for disaster in that situation. I like I, I like the defensive calls. The zones that we called, especially when you have, and I think the Patriots made a living off. They, I mean, the Patriots made a living winning Super Bowls off of this, and that's getting pressure on your quarterback with your front while playing some type of zone behind it. And that is what our defense is. What I'm seeing is a lot of guys out of position. Whitehead uh, was out of position on a deep pass to Rieger. He was just out of position. What are you doing? Eyes in the backfield. Oh, he should have picked that off. Yeah. No, he's running back and he overruns the ball. And if he just tracks it well and stands where it's coming, he picks it off. But the problem is is even before that, he was out of position. His eyes were in the backfield. Mosley's eyes in the backfield. Uh, Is it Quan Alexander? Yeah, nine. Eyes in the backfield. I mean, we have – we. I'm sitting here watching – and I'm loving the defensive play call because we have them stop. There was, there's the only reason on a lot of these passes, Kirk Cousins had places to throw the ball was simply because our guys' eyes were in the backfield. If you get to your zone and you and you understand the different route concepts, we are there. 
this is going to be a game I guarantee that they go back and they watch the film and these guys are saying to themselves, damn, my eyes are in the backfield. Oh, I carried this person a little bit too long. Yes, there were a couple of plays where we we ran zone and guys came open, but oftentimes that was off of some type of play action fake. All right. But for the most part, I think our guys did a good job uh, as far as the, the defensive play calls. I think our execution was horrible. Minnesota did a great job of mixing in their runs. They really did. And this is what happens when you mix in your runs, you're able to dink and dunk. You're able to pick up a few yards here, a few yards there. Now you get linebackers manipulated. Now you get linebackers coming downhill a little too fast, taking poor angles, things of that nature. That's what mixing in the runs do. But when it comes to our coverage standpoint, it really comes down to just poor technique. Get your eyes out of the backfield. Look at the route concepts. You know when you line up on defense that this offense and this and this and this formation, they love to do these route concepts. All you have to do is get your eyes out of the backfield, get to your zone. That's what the issue was. If they get to their zone, and we talked about this before the show, all right, Kirk Cousins does not like to get hit. All you have to do is get some type of pressure on him and you will rattle him throughout the course of the game. That's why he was missing a lot of passes because that has been Kirk Cousins even when he was in, here in Washington as a rookie. If you hit him, you get pressure on him, he's going to miss throws. He's going to throw it too quick or he's just going to flat out miss it. So I think from an early on standpoint, I think our D-line did a good job of trying to rattle him. It's just on the back end. They eyes were horrible. Just drop to your zone. If if you go back and you watch the All-22, if you go back and you watch these guys drop to their zones, you're going to see that Kirk Cousins is going to have to hold on to the ball a little bit longer, and our defensive line would have been there to get him. So I, I'm with you with trying some of the man. I don't agree with that this week just simply because I just think that we had playing man with any of our corners on Jefferson, especially from the 30-yard line on in. I think that you were inviting disaster. But – from a defensive standpoint, I got to take my hat off to the defensive coaches. I really think that they called a good game. I just think that we have to do a better job of executing when our guys are dropping into their zones. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think there was definitely some issues for the Jets, especially like you mentioned off play action, where there was just guys wide open off play action because all the guys were in the backfield. And yeah. that made it that much harder uh, to play defense. But you got to give credit to them for rallying in the second half where you give up 20 points in the first half and you give up seven points in the second, and you pretty much only gave up one drive the whole entirety of the second half that ended in a touchdown, that's a good rebound. That's a good response. I'm pretty happy with the defense overall. And as much as I think personally that I'm not going to sit here and go complete argument with you, I think DJ Reed got lulled to sleep a little bit for sure. And I think Jefferson <laughs> ran a really good route and, and slow played it at the top of his stem to be able to, to make DJ hesitate. And that gave him a good break. But I also feel like DJ Reed, knowing he's five foot nine and like 190 pounds, if he's sitting with outside leverage and Jefferson runs the seam route, he can't reach around to break it up. He Jefferson's going to body him up. Jefferson's going to be able to box him out and be able to just get to the inside. So I feel like that also kept him a little more to the inside than he maybe would have wanted instead of getting lulled to sleep like he was getting flat-footed and then having to recover back to the outside. That's neither here nor there. We can move past that from there. One of the last things I want to say before we get out of here, because there's no one on this team, I think, from this past game that deserves more credit for their performance than Greg Zerline. 
Greg Zerline goes five for five, breaks a Jets franchise record in field goal distance with a 60 yarder and is quite literally their only offense the whole day. And he's been, he was perfect. Didn't miss a single kick hit from 60 plus yards. What more could you possibly want? We had mentioned it the week before where it's raining and storming and it's the end of the game and there's, you know, sleet and wind and rain everywhere. And Greg Zerline hits a 57 yarder to go into the halftime by about 10 yards. He comes out this next week and hits a 60 yarder. The Jets might have one of the best kickers in the league this year. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that. I don't think it's out of the question to say that. And I want to end this show by giving credit to someone that we don't necessarily give a lot of credit to by name, but I think we really should. Special teams coordinator Brant Boyer. Yeah. Yeah. Has survived three Jets head coaches, was a Todd Bowles hire, lived through the Adam Gase era, kept on by Robert Sala again. And the only good unit the Jets have had consistently over his tenure with the Jets has been the special teams. That's his unit. Mm-hmm. So I'm Brad Boyer, you know, give him whatever he wants to stick around here, because if a team is smart, if a team is really smart and they have a head coach opening and they don't get any of the top candidates, don't be surprised if they come sniffing around one Jets drive, because there's been some really successful special teams coaches go on to be head coaches in the past. Look at John Harbaugh. That, that's the, the gold standard. And the one thing about special teams coaches that I think do, bodes them really well for that environment in the future, they work with everybody. Yeah. They work with offensive players. They work with defensive players. They work with defensive linemen. They work with receivers. They work with quarters. They work with the whole team. And they know how to talk to all the different parts of the team and communicate with all the different groups. And they know how defensive linemen talk to each other and how corners talk to each other and how running backs talk to each other. And they, they have that communication aspect down and they have their fingerprints on the entire roster. Brant Boyer has done an absolutely incredible, incredible job and he does not get mentioned enough for it. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you. And on this show every week, we're always Given you know, we're always giving shout outs to some member on his special teams, whether it's man or whether it's Zerline, whether it's Berrios getting a good return. And anytime there's anytime you get good returns, it's because you had good blocking. And so I'm with you on that. We definitely have to give a shout out to our special teams. Um this for me, just kind of just bringing this thing home. I think what we saw out there was the youth of our team. I, I think that that's what we saw out there, was just the youth of our team came back to, it came back to hurt us, all right? Um, I'm still really excited about the season. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm still really excited about the season. Nobody thought that at this point in the season that the Jets would actually be fighting for a playoff spot, all right? And and, and I think, hey, here's the reality, we control our own destiny. We control our own destiny. And so the one thing that I've seen consistently, and for me, it goes back to the New England Patriots game. If I'm not mistaken, every game that we played the Patriots, the very next game we came back and won, and we looked significantly better, right? To me, the Patriots force you to look at yourself, to look at yourself and look at the specifics of the details. All right. When you go back and you watch this film from both an offensive and defensive standpoint, especially a defensive standpoint, we're going to go back to the basics. It's going to force us to look at ourselves because I really think that we beat ourselves in this game. 
linebackers, secondary people not dropping to their zones, giving up big plays. We can't afford to have that happen. Can't have the quarterback consistently throwing the ball behind guys. We need our wide receivers to stay flat. We can't have these mix-ups and pass protection. All of these things were things that either gave up big plays or kept us from getting big plays. So I really think that when it comes down to, to us losing this game, we lost this game in the details, the specific details of what you do as a player at, at your position. That's where I think we lost this game, and that's what I'm talking about with regards to our youth. With that said, all right, we got two games where we lose to the Patriots because of details, all right? Came back after both of those games, boom, lit it up. This is a game that we just lost the game to details. So I'm really excited because if there's one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give Robert Sala the credit here because if it's one thing that he's shown is that as a head coach, his teams have been consistent from the time that he's gotten in as a head coach. There are certain things that you can look at this team and you can say that this team is going to do this. This defense is going to show up. This special teams is going to show up. And games that they've lost because we lose sight of the details, they have always come back, gotten those details, gotten those details together, and then came out and put together a dominant performance. So I'm really excited, <clears throat> excuse me, for this upcoming week to see how this team rebounds from this loss because we got a big one coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For all the listeners, make sure you guys tune in later in the week for our official breakdown and preview of the Buffalo Bills game coming out on Friday morning. Make sure you're tuning in for that. But for this game in particular to end out here, there's no such thing as moral victories in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You care about the wins regardless of how it comes, and, and a loss is a loss regardless of, of how that comes to. But there are things you can build from, and there are things that can be positively uh, taken away and that you can grow from in the future. And I think this is absolutely one of those games for the Jets. This was not a game to me where I'm sitting here on a on the Tuesday after the game going, dang, I'm so upset. I'm so ticked that they lost. They, you know, they played like crap. They're going to be terrible. Or it's, you know, if only these couple of things went different. Am I upset about the loss? Sure. Absolutely. Would I have loved for them to beat Minnesota? Of course. Not going to sit here and pretend anything to the contrary. But I saw a lot of good from that game that I know can bode well in the future. And I saw a lot of things that can be fixed that are minor issues that should be able to be fixed for next week. Like we've seen, like you mentioned, twice in a row now where the Jets coming off losses, I don't think they've lost back-to-back games this season. That's that's saying something. Where you have the ability to rebound. You have the ability to to set yourself correct from where you were the week before and come back out swinging. That goes back to the coaching staff. And especially when you have a young unit, you're going to have some miscues. You're going to have some issues that, that crop up. And I think we have the right locker room and we have the right guys in that locker room that they're going to be able to weather that storm, know what they got to do and come back out even uh, even sharper. I'm really looking forward to breaking down this game with you uh, when we get to recording it for looking ahead to Buffalo. I know it's going to be a blast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I have been Andrew Golden. You can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17 on Twitter. Make sure you're following Big Dog over there at Coach Jordan 34. And you can also follow the show at B-L-E-A-B underscore in underscore Jets. Thank you guys one more time for stopping by. And we'll be back real, real soon. Bye-bye. Peace.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.